Good morning once again. I have a story for you today, and this is how this one goes. There was an accounting firm, and there was a manager of that accounting firm who one day was greeting all the new employees that he had never met, and one of them came in, and the manager said, what is your name? John, the new guy replied. The manager scowled. Look, I don't know what kind of namby-pamby place you worked at before, but I don't refer to anybody here by their first name. That breeds familiarity, and it leads to a breakdown in authority. I refer to all my employees by their last name only, Smith, Jones, Baker, that's it. Now that we got that straight, what is your last name? The new guy sighed and thought for a moment, and he said, Darling, my name is John Darling. The manager... The manager said, okay, John, the next thing I'll tell you is this. As human beings, we like to push the limits. We like to see what we can get away with. Those of you who have raised teenagers know that teenagers especially love to push the limits and see what they can get away with. And that's really something we don't ever grow out of, no matter how old we get. We still sometimes enjoy pushing limits, pushing boundaries, seeing how much we can get away with. Has anybody here ever looked at the speed limit sign and then pretended it didn't even exist? <laughs> Have you ever been on a cruise and gone to the midnight buffet and pretended it's okay? <laughs> or have you ever gone swimming in the Gulf of Mexico with the red flag up like it has been recently and just gone swimming anyway? We love to push the limits. We love to extend the boundaries. We do that in so many ways, but I think if we're very true to ourselves and if we really pay attention to what's going on in our heart, there are times we want to push the boundary when it comes to something the Bible calls sin, when it comes to disobedience towards God. I'll bet all of us at some point in our lives have asked ourselves the question, all my sins are forgiven, so why can't I just keep on sinning? Why can't I live life on the edge and push the boundaries and see what I can get away with when it comes to sin? And that's a question Christians for 2,000 years have struggled with, and it is a very serious question. And it is a reasonable question to struggle with because it is true that Jesus Christ has paid for all of our sins by his death. He has made us right with God by his resurrection. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And all of our sins, past, present, and future, and future, are paid for by Jesus Christ. They're paid in full. But then we ask ourselves, therefore, why does it matter how much I sin in the future when he's paid for all my sins? Don't I basically have a license to sin? Don't I basically have a credit card with no limit? I can go in and do whatever I want, and it's covered. It's paid for. Easy question. Hard answer. The easy answer is that no, it's not okay to keep on sinning. We don't have a license to sin. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the reason it's such a hard question is because even as Christians, we still struggle with sin, and we struggle every single day. We still, as Christians, even though we know we're children of God, we're a new creation, we're forgiven, we're freed to live a life of obedience to God, we still struggle with sin. We still mess up, we run from God, we hurt the people we love. We do things that we hope nobody will ever find out about. We have faith in Jesus Christ that all our sins are forgiven, but at the same time, we are still sinners. 
And so if we gravitate towards sin and if it's still attractive to us, why does it matter how good or bad we act? Why does it matter whether we obey God's commands or not? He's paid for my sins in full. The rejection I deserved, He's taken upon Himself. The acceptance that I never will merit, Jesus has merited it for us and given us the acceptance of God. Why can't I then sin however much I want? And that's the question Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, which Mark read. Romans chapter 5 begins by Paul talking about sin, and he said, sin at the beginning of the world messed everything up, but the good news is that there's something called God's grace, which is so great and so big that it overcame all the sin at the beginning. And this is what he says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin can get as big as it wants, but God's grace is going to outpace it and increase even more to cover the sin. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, God's grace is going to reign. Sin reigned in death. But at the end of the day, God's grace is going to reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is saying, no matter how much sin there is, God's grace is even more. It's more than enough to cover the sin, and that is good news for every single person here today. That's good news. If you're here this morning and there's something in your life that you've never been able to forgive yourself for, if you've ever done anything that you feel God could never forgive you for, there is good news for you. The Bible says, God says by His Word, no matter how big your sin, God's grace is even bigger. God's grace reigns. It covers over all your sin. God says in the Old Testament that though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God says as far as the east is from the west, you know how far that is, east from west? You can't measure that. That's how far God has removed your sins from you. Your sins are gone. Jesus Christ has taken them away. The Bible says He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The Bible, when it talks about Jesus taking away our sins, says he was handed over for our transgressions and he was raised to life for our justification. Your sins have been taken away. They do not follow you everywhere you go. They are gone. You are in good standing with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And once you're made right with God, nothing you do today, tomorrow, will ever remove that right standing you have before God because you're standing on His righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, not on your own. God's grace, according to Paul, is always bigger than your sin. But then that's where the misunderstanding comes in. And Paul knows that people will misunderstand him. And that's why the next thing he says is this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. 
It is way too easy to misunderstand God's grace and think that it's a credit card with no limit, that it's a blank check to cover as many sins as you want to commit. Paul is saying, Romans 6, 1 and 2, God's grace is not a blank check for sin. Now certainly, the message of the Bible is that God's grace will never be exhausted by your sins. You will never get to a place where God's grace runs out on you. When I was in college, I visited home one weekend and my car was really, really low on gas. And I told my dad about it, kind of hoping that he might go fill it up for me. (laughs) And he did. He was very gracious that day. He took the car and he went to go fill it up. And he was a long time in coming back and I didn't understand why. And when he finally came back, I said, Dad, what took so long? And he said, it's not funny, Reed. Your car ran out of gas on the way to the gas station. (laughs) So many times we think that God's grace is like a tank of gas in our lives, that it's like a finite amount, and he's given it to us, and we run on it, and when we mess up and sin and do wrong, we use up a little grace, but don't worry, there's more left in the tank. Just be careful you don't use the whole tank. But that's not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible says God's grace will never be exhausted by your sins. You will never run out. You will never commit too many sins for God to forgive. However big your sin is, God's grace is even bigger to cover the sin. However much grace you need, God will give it to you as a gift. The more sin, the more grace. The Bible is crystal clear on that from beginning to end. But then at the same time, it's a complete misunderstanding of grace to say, why not then go on sinning so grace may increase? That misunderstands grace and it misunderstands sin. It misunderstands grace because God did not send his son in the world to give them a blank check on sin. God sent his son into the world to save the world from sin and to reconcile the world to himself and to give life to those who were dead in their sin. And it's a complete misunderstanding of sin to say, why not go on sinning so grace may increase? Because sin has very real consequences in this world, even after we're forgiven by God, and it is destructive, and it is debilitating, and it ruins relationships. And sin is so grave that it led to the necessity of the crucifixion of the Son of God. And that's really dark. And sin is really serious, and it's not to be taken lightly. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The question, if my sins are forgiven, why can't I go on sinning, has implicit in it the assumption that God has told us not to sin because he's cruel and he's mean and he doesn't want us to enjoy life. But sin is not desirable and it is not good and it is attractive only in temptation, and it never satisfies, and it always leaves us feeling empty. When I was a kid and we went camping in Colorado, we always did these long trips in the mountains, and it took forever to get there. And my brother and I ended up in the back seat, my two sisters up front, and then my parents. And on one trip, we were so bored and getting a little hungry, and we saw a box of fruit snacks in the back from Sam's Club. Have you ever bought, like, the mega pack of fruit snacks? (laughs) They're so big. Those things should last an entire week for two brothers, two sisters, and two parents. And that's what they were intended to do. 
But my brother and I secretly took the fruit snacks. We opened it up. We had a little game going. I'll eat a pack. You eat a pack. I'll eat a pack. You eat a pack. Let's keep going and see who can eat the most. So we went and we went and we ate 40 packs of fruit snacks. And we laughed the entire time. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you take a fruit snack, just a single one, and you take it home, put it in a glass, and put it on your table in the morning, do you know what happens to that fruit snack? Any scientists in the room? It expands. I don't know the scientific explanation for that, but it expands. And it gets really big. So I'm guessing that if you eat a fruit snack, you know what it would do in your stomach? I'm guessing it would expand. And by dinner time, my brother was not hungry, I was not hungry, and all we wanted to do was lay on the sleeping bag and sit there and die. <laughs> and it was miserable. It was terrible. It did not leave us fulfilled to give in, to indulge. And that's a cute example, but there are many, many ways in which we see temptation as something good and attractive and think it's going to fill us up, and it doesn't. It never does. It never fills us up to give in to temptation and to give in to sin. And this is what I want to say about that. We're tempted in life to take credit that we don't deserve. And we're tempted to cut people down and talk behind their back and judge people and look at things we should not be looking at and think thoughts that we should not be thinking, and distort the truth, and become selfish, and ice people, and become proud, and give in to materialism, and hold on to a grudge, and refuse to forgive, and look for satisfaction outside of God. Those things are temptations to us. And sin is never good, because it destroys relationships, and it corrodes our soul. And God has put sin off limits to us, not because he's cruel, not because he doesn't want us to enjoy life, but because he is good and loving and he wants us to have life to the full. Jesus said, I have come that you could have life and have it to the full. And that's why Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism is that symbol of us being judged and buried with Jesus in order that we may be raised to life by the power of God. We have a new life in Jesus Christ, and the life he calls us to is one of following him and living as his children and obeying his commands. And Paul is saying that God's grace brings life. God's grace does not bring a blank check for sin because blank checks for sin would lead to death. Instead, God's grace brings life, a life of following him out of the darkness and into the light. And when we go on sinning, we fight against the truth that God already has proclaimed to us when he says, you know, I love you, you're mine, your sins are forgiven. When we go on sinning, we live as though we were not God's children and we could live life apart from him and make our own decision we live as though we created ourselves and we don't have a Lord who loves us. And God calls us back to him by his spirit and he compels us to turn from the wrongs we do and turn towards him and remember that in him we're loved and we're forgiven and remember 
Nothing is ever going to change that. Romans 6 begins by Paul saying, Jesus came to give you life. And then verses 5 through 7, this is the end, is where he says, he has also come to set you free from sin. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anybody who has died has been set free from sin. According to Paul, God's grace brings freedom from sin. That freedom is not a blank check for sin, because if God's grace encouraged sin in that way, it would be encouraging sin rather than leading us out of sin and out of slavery. And when God meets you in his son Jesus Christ, he gives you a new command. Have you ever heard that time Jesus said, all right, your sins are forgiven. Go now and leave your life of sin. I've called you to a new life. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Romans 6.18 says, you have been set free from sin. So the question about getting a blank check for sin makes no sense according to Paul. Because God's grace, which has been poured out in his son Jesus Christ, brings new life and it sets us free from sin. And that's the furthest thing in the world from being a blank check for sin. All your sins are forgiven. That means you have a new life in Jesus. You're a child of God. You're loved by the Father. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you. You are saved by grace through faith. Your salvation has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. As Pastor Hope says now, you don't have to go win at all costs. Because Jesus Christ has accomplished the victory already. You are loved by God. You're accepted by God. Whoever rejects you in life, it's going to be okay. Not because rejection is easy, but because you have been accepted by God. And you've been set free from sin. And you're no longer a slave to sin. And you belong to Jesus now. He's your master. He's your commander. He's your Lord. He will protect you. And he will give you freedom. And he will give you life. And he will remind you that you belong to him. And of course, we will still sin, even as Christians, even as followers of Jesus, who know that our sins are forgiven, even though in one sense we're already made right with God by grace through faith in Jesus, we're still at the very same time shaken off the sinful nature. We will still struggle with sin. We will still be forced to remember that we cannot save ourselves that we have no choice but to run home to the Father who loves us and forgives us for messing up because we still struggle with sin. We will have no choice but to live on God's grace and remember that in Jesus we have a new life and we have a new freedom from old sin. And it matters what we do, not because we could ever do something that could separate us from the love of God. The Bible says there's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. It matters what we do, not because God's grace could be exhausted by our sins. God's grace can never be exhausted by our sins. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. But it matters what we do because when we live as the children of God that we are called to be, then we live our lives as witnesses of Jesus. And that is the clincher. There are a lot of reasons why we can't go on sinning, but at the end of the day, it goes back to the fact that Jesus has called all of us to be his witnesses in the world. Jesus, the last thing he did in his earthly ministry, he gathered together some friends, and he said, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit and testify about me in all the world. And that's a message Jesus taught throughout his earthly ministry. One time Jesus healed a man who had been plagued of demons his entire life. And as Jesus was getting in the boat to go away, the man who had been demon-possessed but was now healed, the man who had been burdened by sin his entire life but was now forgiven and feeling alive and feeling freer than he had ever felt in his life, that man begged to go with Jesus. And Jesus said to him, No, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the capitalist how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. To live the new life that Jesus calls you to means that you are his witness, that you're here in the world to point people towards Jesus. And we do not point people towards Jesus very well when we go on hating people and spreading gossip and being selfish and hiding in the darkness and doing things that are shameful and holding on to, re to grudges and refusing to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. But when we live the new life that Jesus has called us to, as freed and as forgiven, then we're faithfully witnessing to Jesus in the world, telling them how much the Lord has done for us, and then one day our friends and our family, those people we dearly love, will see Jesus has done something great in our lives. They'll want it for themselves. And then God's Spirit will go to work in their heart and bring them to faith as we faithfully testify about him in all the world. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be set free from your sin. You're going to be given a brand new life. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To God be the glory now and forever. Amen.